This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks episode 149. Recording April 6, 2023. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you here. Before getting to this episode, this is Podcasters for Spotify. That's where this is on. You can also find this on Google Podcasts and Radio Public. So head on down to those places. <clears throat> Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So, going through basically the usual stuff, sports, film, TV, gaming, talk about college basketball, talk a little baseball, some NASCAR, talk about Dungeons & Dragons leading the way, talk delisting and potentially Xbox's future and a few other things here for this episode of Geeks & Jocks. So without further ado, let's jump to the movies and head to good old box office mojo. Now, number one, I expected potentially Dungeons and Dragons to be number one. And it did. Over the weekend, it made a little more than $35 million, ended at about $37.2 million. Over the weekend. And where it stands right now is a 43.6 domestic performance and 37.2. So it's already made its way to almost 81 million. Which is not too bad. And these are as updated to as recent as Tuesday. The problem is this movie has a budget of 151 million. 151 million. With the way things are getting now with movies, it's getting tougher and tougher, I think, for competition and to see whether these big tentpole type movies can still be sustainable amidst other big hype movies you know nevertheless should do decent enough I would think over the course of the next month but we'll have to wait and see well received by the critics number two John Wick chapter four a little over 60% drop but it still had a pretty good weekend 28.3 million and that's the last of the double digit millions sitting comfortably right now at 250 million 128.1 domestic and 122 internationally and by the way they just put out I think a release date for that ballerina movie With uh, Anna de Armas. And that is slated for June of 2024. So a little over a year from now. Set between Chapter 3 and Chapter 4. See how that fares. uh, Yeah, de Armas. It's got 
Keanu Reeves, obviously. Probably be the last movie you'll see of Lance Reddick with him passing away. Actually got some uh, pretty interesting cast members of Norman Reedus and Chloe Grace Moritz returning Ian McShane and Angelica Houston. That's interesting. But going back to uh, John Wick, so obviously it's continuing to show tons and tons of success. So up next is another new release at number three, His Only Son, which is a 5.5 million weekend and sitting near 7 million overall. So, I don't know if... Maybe this is some religious movie that's supposed to be out for only a couple weeks, and that's about it. Can't imagine this being a huge hit. Be curious about the budget, though. Number four, Scream 6. Not too far behind, actually. A little more than 120,000 difference. No, 160,000, my apologies. 5.3 million, inching its way towards 100 million domestic, 99.4 to be precise, and 53.2 internationally. So, obviously, still finding a small, tidy profit here and there. This has been out for almost a month. People still love Scream. Number five, Creed 3. Just hitting 5 million. Sitting now at 149.6. And internationally, 111.5 million. 261.1. This has been put onto streaming stuff just now, but I'd imagine it's still going to find its way into maybe some of the smaller theaters over time. And this is coming off the heels of stuff going on, some more stuff going on with Jonathan Majors. Something to do with assault and some stuff blowing up last week. I don't know what else is happening, but some legal stuff that I think didn't go in their favor if I'm being honest but still Creed 3 enjoying it it's share of success right now number 6 Shazam Fury of the Gods going from number 2 to number 6 4.6 million this movie is probably going to reach its budget, potentially, if it hasn't already. 54.4 domestic and 66.4 internationally. Almost $121 million. This movie is going to be looked at as a flop. Even if it does reach its budget. It's, I mean, i seen it, and I thought it was a good sequel. Not as good as the first, but, you know, just a mess of a situation over at, at Warner Brothers. 
Number seven, a new release, a thousand and one, making nearly one point eight million and two point one as it stands right now. I don't think this is in many theaters, less than a thousand theaters, so not a, exactly a huge nationwide release, but still decent enough to make its way into the top ten. Number eight, sixty-five, making almost one point six, sitting near thirty-one mil domestic and twenty-four point two internationally. I mean, try to stop the bleeding in very small amounts. Number nine, Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. I believe this made how much? 1.2 million. So, very, very safe to say, not even going to reach the original Ant Man's box office growth. 212.3 domestic, 260.8 internationally, sitting at 473.2 million worldwide. There's just a lot of stuff going on at Disney right now. and Between some of the stuff going on in Florida and the stuff going on with Marvel Studios, it's just, it just seems like 2023 is just a mess of a situation. And supposedly Marvel, from what I read in several articles, they're cutting down on the quantity of stuff in terms of how many TV shows they make of Marvel stuff, how many movies of Marvel they're making. I think a focus on the quality would definitely help boost their chances at being looked at as being better again. Maybe cutting down on the budget would be a good thing as well. I don't think you need to necessarily... Just give something that has a captivating story... It doesn't fully rely on CGI throughout the movies. At least that's what I think you have to do. Find the heart that made people go to these movies beginning with Iron Man 15 years ago. Try to find that. Because as it stands right now, I mean, Disney is not putting the effort in. And number 10... 1.2 1.2 million for The Journey, a music special from Andrea Bocelli. It's made about 2.4 million. And the 1.2, by the way, is started on a Sunday, which is pretty impressive. So, yeah. As far as things coming out, (laughs) oh my god, oh man, they had a limited release for a movie called Toto, the doggone amazing story of the Wizard of Oz, I guess this was something that was supposed to come out February of next year, oh my god, this got removed, I didn't even know they were making something... Minecraft, this is coming out in April 2025. I heard some stuff over the years of 
potentially a Minecraft movie coming out, but... Dang. That's unbelievable. So, what has come out as it stands? So, as of looking at the stuff from the 5th, Super Mario, big release, limited releases of Air and One True Loves. Curious about them. Okay, yeah, I mentioned something about the One True Loves last week. Uh, Air is the Nike thing in Michael Jordan. So, I imagine Air would probably get a wide release soon. So, as far as what's coming out Friday for the Easter weekend, so for limited releases, The Line, Play Dead, Ride On, Showing Up, Joyland and a re-release of a movie called The Doom Generation. Your big releases for this weekend is Paint, which is Owen Wilson playing a Bob Ross type of guy. I don't know, I think this is supposed to be a parody if I had to if I had to guess. But Bob Ross had a painting show on PBS for many for many years and the show ended around 94, 95 and he passed away not too long after it ended. It's a weird movie and I mean they're banking on this IFC films. And the other wide release is Imagining the Indian. Curious about that. Okay, Exploitation of Native American Culture. Okay, this is one of those politically-fueled movies. I can't imagine this being a hit. It's a documentary, which, I don't know. To get a wide release, I don't think a lot of people... I mean, I know it's been controversial over the years. That's why the Indians have become the Guardians and the Washington Redskins have become the Washington Commanders. But I can't imagine this movie doing well. As far as the big releases go, I think Super Mario is going to lead the way. I would like to think this would be the, that would be the number one movie Due to it's for kids, you got a lot of adults that like Mario. Although the reception's not so hot right now for Super Mario from the critics. As far as other stuff coming out prior to the 14th, just a bunch of limited releases. Beautiful Disaster, Tommy Guns, The Lost Weekend, A Love Story, and a re-release of The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King for... Return of the King for its 20th anniversary. Curious to see how long that's that stays in theaters. But yeah. That's about it for the movies. Jump into the sports realm. Don't really have a lot to say with with football. There really isn't anything to get too excited about. I mean, drafts less than a month away. How about we jump to NASCAR? 
big win in Richmond for Kyle Larson. Second win of the year. Falling here is the top ten. Josh Berry, second. Ross Chastain, third. Christopher Bell, fourth. Kevin Harvick in the top five, fifth. Michael McDowell, sixth. Joey Logano, seventh. Alex Bowman, eighth. Ty Gibbs, pretty good ninth place finish. And Brad Keselowski, pretty good tenth place finish. Other notables. Martin Truex, 11th. Chase Briscoe, 12th. Eric Almarola, 13th. Kyle Busch, 14th. Ty Gillen, 15th. Tyler Reddick, 16th. Where are we up to next? Harrison Burton, 19th. Denny Hamlin, 20th. Bubba Wallace, 22nd. Daniel Suarez, 23rd. William Byron, 24th. Austin Dillon, 25th. Ryan Blaney, 26th. A.J. Allmendinger, 27th. Austin Sindrick, 28th. Chris Buescher, 30th. Eric Jones, 31st. Ricky Stenhouse, 35th. And Noah Gragson, 37th. So let's look at the standings. A little more in a month and a half. And Easter is going to have a night race. So looking at the standings overall, I don't know if this counts towards the suspensions that Hendrick Motorsports had, but here's your top ten. Alex Bowman leading the way. Ross Chastain second. Bell third. Byron fourth. Harvick fifth. Larson sixth. Logano seventh. Bush eighth. Truex ninth. And Kozlowski tenth. Eight point difference between 10th and 11th, which is Blaney in 11th. Hamlin is also tied for 11th, 11th as well. Well, I got the other person confused. Um, it was Byron that had two wins, not Larson. My apologies. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to look at something for a brief second. Uh, Something about Rainy Street, because I think that was something seen in uh, King of the Hill. Never mind. Uh, going to baseball. So far, week into the season. And some of the notables include Tampa Bay starting off unbeaten. Six, six wins, zero losses so far. And all things considered, the AL East, as it stands, four and two Yankees, three and three Baltimore and Toronto, Boston last place to start off the season. Cleveland starting off strong, same with Minnesota. Cleveland five and two, Minnesota four and two, Chicago middling there, three and three, two and four Tigers, and the Royals starting off bad at one and five. Rangers four and two for the year. The Angels four and two. The Astros three and four. Oakland two and four. And Seattle two and five. Over into the National League. Atlanta still hot. Five and one. New York Mets and the Miami Marlins three and four. And the losers as always, Philadelphia and Washington. 
Milwaukee starting off strong, five and one for the year. Pittsburgh actually second place in the Central, four and two, three and two. Cincinnati, the Cubbies two and three, and St. Louis starting off abysmally, two and four. Kind of hard to tell who is leading the way, but I'm gonna look at Arizona for a minute, see where they are. See what their record is, because they might be the four and two team. Nope, three and three. Second place, the Dodgers. As always, leading the way. I'm not sure if anyone can stop the Dodgers. San Diego three and three. San Francisco two and three. And Colorado two and four. Some of these as it stands right now, some games could still be in progress. Looking at the NHL, we have some interesting standings. So, six teams have already qualified for a playoff spot. The Eastern Conference consists of Boston leading the way for the entire conference. Toronto and Tampa have already clinched their spots. In the Metropolitan Division, the division is not wrapped up yet. Carolina is leading the way, but not a lot of games left for for them, New Jersey, and the New York Rangers. So you got two teams with 87 points each. The Florida Panthers and the New York Islanders. Pittsburgh is one point behind, and they're the closest to being any of the teams that could still have a chance at making the playoffs. The next closest is Buffalo and Ottawa, each with 81 points. Might be too little too late, though. Though anything can happen over the next week or so. Other than that, Detroit, Montreal... Washington, Philadelphia, and Columbus. No way they're getting that far. The Western Conference has six teams already clinching a playoff spot. Three teams tied for the same in the Central Division. Colorado, Dallas, and Minnesota. Colorado leading the way due to having a better record in terms of wins and losses. Looking at others in the Pacific, Vegas leading the way across the entire conference. Edmonton not too far behind, same with the LA Kings. Seattle has yet to clinch, but they seem like they'll be the closest to do that. The next closest would be the Winnipeg Jets or the Calgary Flames. The Jets have a better record, but... Not as many overtime losses like Calgary does. Other than that, I mean, it's going to come down to how the how the Predators do. Nashville is three points behind, and really, I mean, it, it's it'll be interesting to see who gets in for that last spot. I mean, anything can happen, and the Kraken could wind up 
out of it, but no way. That this I think the Kraken will be in the playoffs. Other than that, Vancouver, San Jose, which is surprising. San Jose is usually a really good team. Anaheim, they're out of it. The Blackhawks are out of it. Arizona, man, St. Louis, if I had to guess, too. I, I can't imagine St. Louis. I don't think they have enough games to recover. NBA. Let's look at some standings. Because I think the Eastern Conference is about set as far as having all their main teams locked in with three teams now in for the play-in tournament. So Milwaukee, best in the conference. They have home, they start off number one seed overall. Boston, Second, 55 and 25. Milwaukee, 58 and 22. Philadelphia, 52 and 27. Cleveland, 50 and 30. New York Knicks just clinched a playoff spot recently, 47 and 33 for the year. Brooklyn, despite two games left, they'll probably be the sixth seed if I had to guess. Uh, three games left, actually, for the Miami Heat, though I'm not sure if they're playing at the moment. 42-37 and 37 for the year. Atlanta, Toronto, and Chicago all are in the play-in tournament. If I had to guess, Miami will probably be the fourth team of the bunch. Being an interesting group. So we got... Three divisional winners in the Western Conference. Nothing is set in stone from 5 through 10. Denver leading the way in the conference, 52-27. and 27. Memphis, 50-30 for the year. Kings, 48-32. Phoenix is the one of the wild cards, 44-35. So here's the records, 5 through 10. So Golden State is 42 and 38. LA Clippers and the Lakers 41 38 each. Clippers 6 right now, Lakers 7th. New Orleans Pelicans 41 39. Minnesota Timberwolves 40 and 40 for the year. Oklahoma 38 and 42 as is Dallas. Utah I think is out of it. 36 and 43 for the year. No way are they making it into the play-in. The rest, not so much. 33-46 Trailblazers, 20-59 Spurs, and 20-60 and Houston Rockets. So I believe the Clippers are playing right now. Yep, and looks like they'll be winning themselves a victory against the Lakers. So that would put them at 42 and 38. While the Lakers would be 41 and 30. Dang it. 41 and 39. Okay. 
nope, I don't want the Eastern Conference. I want the West. So they would be 41 and 39. I think you need you need Dallas to lose for Oklahoma, I think, to have a chance to be in the play-in tournament. I would think it all comes down to the, like the last game of the year. Just about all of them have two games left. Man, it's going to be a fun NBA playoff season. Western Conference is probably so equal outside of the top four. And when you look at the Eastern Conference, you got some dominant teams. Be curious to see how Boston fares, especially with all the controversy they had to deal with at the beginning of the year. And in the case of Doc Rivers, can he make it to the finals for once? Can he do it? He hasn't done it in, what, 15 years? No, nope, look, I take that back. He did reach the finals like one more time in like what 2010. Cleveland has a good team. Knicks have a good team. I think it's a matter of who Philadelphia and Boston face. Well, actually, all three of the top three. Now let's jump. Let's jump into college basketball. And I'll save the women's for last because holy shit. It's gone crazy. So I'll start off with the men's basketball. When I saw that UConn was heading to the Final Four, my gut instinct told me they look like they're going to be the ones that were going to win it all. And they did. Pretty convincing. I think it was like 76-59 to against San Diego State this past Monday. So they won, what, like their third or fourth since the late 90s? So obviously that's big. In terms of ratings, it's one of the least watched national championships for college basketball. Not the absolute worst. I do want to look at that for a rate, rating standpoint. Because I did have a look at it. Where is it? Yeah. Ratings low. We're going to go to Sports Media Watch. Which I think is what I looked at. Not too long before. Recording this episode. So 14.69 million viewers from CBS, down 50% in ratings and 14% viewership from last year's Kansas-North Carolina game, which had 17.05. And the lowest rated and least watched title game on record. The previous lows were last year's 9.1 and just shy of 16 million for Villanova, Michigan in 2018, which also aired on cable. For CBS one, two years ago, 9.4 and 17.08 for Baylor's route of Gonzaga two years ago. Past three title games rank among the four least watched on record. Two of the least five include 
UConn, which included a 17.09 rating in 04, beating Georgia Tech. So yeah, the worst. 2018, Villanova, Michigan. Third one being 2022, Kansas, North Carolina. 2021, that, that's pretty bad. Then 04 with UConn, Georgia Tech. 06, Florida, UCLA, 17.5. 09, North Carolina, Michigan State, 17.6. 2016, 17.8. That's, that's a bit surprising. That was actually a really good game, especially with that buzzer beater at the end of that in 2016. That was really fun to watch that with, with family. That buzzer beater, we were all like, whoa! The oldest on the list at number 9, Syracuse, Kansas, 18.6 million. And 08, Kansas, Memphis, 19.5. And from what it says, Huskies' ho-hum win still delivered the largest <coughs> basketball audience of the past year. Better than Game 6 of last year's NBA Finals. That NBA Finals had just one shy of 14 million. It also outdrew, as one expect, Sunday's record high audience for LSU Iowa, which had nearly 10 million. College football, despite the route, 17.22 on the ESPN Family and Networks. As far as largest basketball audiences the past year, number one being obviously this game. NBA Finals 6 and 5 at number 2 and 3, Final 4 Yukon Miami. And then NBA Finals Game 4 2 and 1 at 5 6 and 7. Final 4 for this year, then 2022 Finals Game 3, yeah. So it's still pretty bad. I mean, it, it's still it's surprising a bit because I mean, people still want to see the national championship. They want to see... I mean, UConn is a recognizable college basketball, you know, college. So, some people do want to see them do well. And, you know, it is what it is. What probably plays a factor is probably how bad the game was from, you know, looking at the lead. And not to mention, I mean, people still got to go to work on the East Coast and even Central Time. So it's not a huge shock to see the ratings kind of... I mean, who really knows about San Diego State as well? Who really knows about them? Not to be disrespectful towards San Diego State, but did anyone expect them to make it that far? I don't know. So, saving the best for last. Well... A lot of mouth opening. LSU, Iowa, big ratings, peak being over 12 million viewers according to a tweet. LSU won, I think it was like 102.85, and it was a game marred by controversy and criticism, particularly towards how the officiating was. Stories of LSU coach Kim Mulkey being all around the court, not getting technical fouled, and 
I think she might have touched some officials or came close to. Didn't get technical fouled or anything. But definitely the big story is Angel Reese of LSU. And this girl has a bit of a no-nonsense attitude towards a lot of things. So she did a you-can't-see-me hand gesture, which has been part of some things. I read that it's something that John Cena did when he was in the WWE. It's like she did that towards the big name of Iowa, Caitlin Clark, which from what I understand, she did something similar to that against South Carolina. And I think part of why this game had big ratings, not only being on ABC, but the fact you didn't have UConn in it, you didn't have Notre Dame in it, you didn't have South Carolina in it. So, not having a team that typically is seen in the national championship game does a lot of things. I don't know if if these games are ever on ABC. But that's a big win. It's a huge win. But of course, can't talk about this while talking about the Reese girl. So she has been pretty flustered, I guess you could say, or having a lot of anger in her. And even the hand gesture thing, Caitlin Clark is defending her. Because I think people are trying to spin it and some are accusing of doing like double standards, trying to create a racial narrative, a political narrative. It's just a it's just a mess of a situation. And it just gets even worse for the for Reese because there's some stuff going on regarding Jill Biden. That's right, the wife of Joe Biden. Wanting to go into the locker rooms pre-game. And I th- supposedly some bitterness from what I look at because of Joe Biden picking LSU to lose pretty early in the tournament. There's a lot of things to criticize the Bidens for, but... For basketball, I just don't see them really as college-type fans. I just don't see it. I mean, I don't know how big of a college sports guy Trump is, but obviously Obama was. I mean, sports-wise, I mean, they do stuff like first pitches for baseball and maybe visit a couple things for sports. You know, whether it's NASCAR, NFL... You know, he he just doesn't... Joe Biden doesn't strike me as a college guy. Maybe he likes to try it, try doing something, but otherwise, probably just... He didn't think LSU would be good enough. And And I'm assuming it rubbed Angel Reese the wrong way. And so, she has a bitterness towards... towards the Bidens, if I had to assume... And the same thing with the locker room stuff. She didn't want Jill there. 
Now, whether, I don't know if Jill Biden went to the Iowa locker room before the game, but there was some stuff about her wanting Iowa to come to the White House despite losing. And, and that rubbed some of the LSU people the wrong way. And the most vocal being Reese, saying, we'll, we'll, we'll visit the Obamas. Like, that's going to solve anything. The way I look at it is that I don't think a little trash talk or taunting is necessarily bad, but when done on the biggest stage, I mean, it does leave you open to a wide range of criticism. And I think Angel Reese is being a brat at this point with how she has acted. Let me look at let me let me explain it in a way to com- like a comparison type thing. Granted, different when you look at college versus professional, but look at Terrell Owens. Probably the best wide receiver in the 2000s for what he did in San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Dallas. He did a lot of damage there in those cities. Was with the Eagles during their Super Bowl run in 04. Had some really huge years with Tony Romo in Dallas. Made Jeff Garcia seem relevant in San Francisco. But he always had an attitude problem. And that's part of the reason why I think he was bothered that he wasn't put in first ballot Hall of Fame in 2016. What probably didn't help was some of his feuds. I think he might have had a feud with Jerry Rice at one point, not too long before Rice left it following the 2000 season. Obviously the issues in Philadelphia and just... It rubbed people the wrong way, his attitude. And this is something I could easily see with Angel Reese. And you could apply this to any athlete who has big talent, but has maybe emotional problems or something mental that is not good enough. You can be really good, but they teams look at more than just your skill and talent to see if you can make it into a professional sports league. Now, whether or not she goes into the WNBA, I don't know. More than likely, she probably could. But she's not doing herself any favors with her attitude, and continuing to be a brat will make her draft stock go down. How severe that drop will be, I don't know. And not so some stuff I've heard a little bit, maybe just a rumor that I've seen online is her GPA. Supposedly, it's pretty low, below two. There are certain thresholds you have to maintain in order to stay on a team. I mean, you can dip maybe up. Point one or point two below two and still play with your team, 
though I think there's certain things in order to be given awards and whatnot, I think that's what plays a factor too. I don't know. It it's a it's a weird situation. I don't think we've heard the last of Angel Reese. I don't think we've heard the last of it. For all we know, she could be opening her mouth up again soon. But her attitude, it needs to change. To do it, to do the taunting on the national stage on national television, last big game of the year, it, it it'll rub people the wrong way. Justified or not, that's up to the individual. But I think she needs to change a little bit for the better and grow up a little bit. If she wants to have a future in the WNBA, she'll need to change her attitude because I can't see many coaches, despite looking at the talent, seeing this as a good thing. I mean, heart is good. Going with your gut at times, not always the best choice. There isn't anything else I could think of. I mean, there isn't anything big for television. The only thing that I could think of is Howell Wayne's passing away. Now, you might be saying, who the heck is this guy? Well, it's the Wayne's family. You know, the guys like like Damon Wayne, Sean... Marlon, Kim, Keenan Ivory, the the mother Elvira Althea passed away a couple of years ago. So, I mean, they are probably one of the most recognized like comedy families ever. One of the most recognized, and to see the father pass away is, you know, pretty sad, and it's just some stuff. Marlon Wayans honoring his late father, you know, that's got to be tough. I mean, it's tough to see anybody pass away, but, you know, the guy probably led a good life, age of 86, when he passed away. Especially in an era where these guys, I mean, they found their way into comedy in the 80s and 90s and had their big hits during that time and even into the early 2000s. Unbelievable. You know, you see some of this stuff was... I feel like you're starting to see other things, like, one of the other things that I just noticed, seeing a lot of musicians passing away, and there was a cause of death for a Fleetwood Mac singer, Christine McVie, had, like, a big form, according to multiple websites, including, like, New York Post, big stroke after being diagnosed with a big form of, of cancer, it must have been really, really bad to have that happen so quick. 
You see that with some people, it, the, the cancer goes through them so quick it, at such a severe rate that the their survivability is extremely slim after probably a month or so. I'm no doctor, by the way, just leaving that there, but just assuming. Seen too many musicians over the last few years. Seen too many celebrities, if I'm being honest, passing away from from cancer. I mean, it it can happen to anyone, and celebrities, you know, included. Doesn't matter if you're three years old or twenty six or fifty four, any age, it can happen to anyone. Some people can beat it out, others cannot. It's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. I don't know if just health plays a huge factor over the last couple of years or anything like that, but it's sad. It's sad to see. One of the other sad things that we keep looking at as we move on to gaming... Delistings. So, end of April, I'm not sure if I, I might have said this incorrectly on some. If I hadn't, then I apologize. But, Electronic Arts is delisting a few games. Battlefield games. Battlefield 1943 and Battlefield Bad Company 1 and 2. These are being delisted at the end of April. And anticipation for a shutdown of their online servers come early December this year. Battlefield 1943 is an online-only game. And the Bad Company games do have online, but they also have single-player content. Battlefield 1943 is also an online-only game on Steam and Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. The bad companies, at least you can get copies, physical copies for the PS3 and 360. It, it continues that trend that we've seen a lot over the years of games getting delisted and not being seen again. And I think this hurts the computer even more due to the fact that it's going to be next to impossible to play some of the content on computers again. Unless you find a way to hack it or something. Or, But it's a pretty old game, 1943, and came out around 09. And this is something that has been seen in other PC games over the years. A lot of them that have single player experiences, they shut their online off. And this is coming off the heels of recently Steam ending support for Windows 7 and Windows 8. Windows 7, their support ended few years ago, around mid-January of 2020, 
I think Windows 8 was actually a long time ago. When was that? I am... I, I gotta look again. That Windows 8... End of life, at least 8.1. End of support for 8.1 was actually almost three months ago. It will no longer receive security updates, bug fixes online. So... Updates are gone. And this has been the case for any Windows computer in the modern time since Windows 95. Once the support has ended, you're not getting any more updates. It's much easier for people to hack into these computers and expose the security vulnerabilities. That's why it's best to not have the internet on at all, or at least use it at a very bare uh, minimum. And this is no different with Windows 7 and Windows 8, because Steam knows it's easy to exploit this stuff. And that's the case with also some of these games. As the security stuff gets easier to hack, it becomes tougher to maintain. And that's why there's been many delistings of online features for a lot of games over the years. One of the more severe ones that I could think of is a couple of years back with the Little Big Planet games on the PS3. Some some guy kept doing offensive stuff online and Sony because they hadn't done updates in such a long time. They decided to shut down the Little Big Planet servers. You can still play the game single player, but online stuff is gone. And that probably frustrated a lot of people who probably spent you know a fair share playing online, playing some of the fan created levels and all that. And like I said, it just gets harder and harder probably to play some of this stuff on PC. <clears throat> And it probably will hurt 1943 a bit due to being an online-only game. I would think the bad company games do have physical releases. This was around the time where you could still get some games with a disc and the security code in it. So I would like to think you could still play them legitimately. So... And I'll end with talking about the Xbox 360 because supposedly, I mean, people are still, I think, are still panicking over the idea that Microsoft will shut down the 360 marketplace next month. If Microsoft was going to do that, they'd be announcing something well in advance. Anything from like three months to a year. I mean, they, they're they not stupid. They know people will still want to play or buy some of the content that is still on the marketplace. It's just that as time has gone on, some stuff has have to have been deleted, de- delisted, because of license expirations. 
And I'm talking more than just your typical licensed game like a Madden or X-Men for that matter. There's probably so much limited time on these consoles for these games to still be selling. That's what I think is going on. But still, I mean, best to keep eye on the news of what goes on with Microsoft because who knows what will happen next. Anything can happen. Anything can happen in with the 360, anything can happen with Sony and the PS3, but I would not be pinning my hopes on the idea that these two are going to be on the market forever for their digital support. Shoot, I was thinking by now that both of them would be be gone due to the fact that you have the PS5 out and the Xbox Series line out. But as, as long as it's not offending anybody, there was something stupid I saw a while ago of someone being upset at, oh, with the Nintendo and the 3DS and Wii U, oh, they're making millions off of people within the short amount of time. That might be true, but it's probably such a very, very small percentage because nobody's using it and that's what plays a factor into some of these storefronts being shut down. You know, that's probably why in the case of the Wii the store shut down the Wii, the whole Wii stuff shut down in 2019 and that's why the 3DS and Wii U shut their stuff off a couple weeks back. And that's why, inevitably, you're going to see the Vita store shut down. You're going to see the PS3 store shut down, the 360. And eventually, it will come down to the Switch, the PS4, the Xbox One. And, of course, what we got here with the PS5 and the Xbox Series line. It's going to happen, inevitably. I I think if people are serious about preserving the games, do what they can now. Try to curate as much as you can but do be warned a lot of these games are going to have a lot of storage especially as you get towards around the 2013 2014 look at some of those uh, files for some of the games from that era games get bigger and bigger and bigger I just hope down the road we get people that will not only do that, but also maybe try to fix some of these systems and hope to get them working again as long as the hardware don't wind up getting brittle. It'll be funny. I wouldn't mind seeing like a tube TV again to see people try like NES light gun games again or try to get something to work, you know, get t- TV to work so they can hook up a VCR and watch a VHS tape. <laughs> That's just my line of thinking. Anyway, that'll wrap up this episode. Like I said before, this is Spotify for podcasters for this podcast. You can also find us on Radio Public and Google Podcasts. So I don't down those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, that is episode 149. 
This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care everyone.